0: Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started.
1: Greetings, friends. I'm de Guerrera, and I have just read the most fantastic young adult novel. I have to tell you about it because, uh, listen, the books on my required reading list when I was a kid were fine. Some of them are really good. Most of them were standard. But if this had been on that list when I was, uh, I don't know, in middle school, I would have fallen in love with it. The book I want to talk with you about today is Piecing Me Together by Renee Watson, published in 2017 by Bloomsbury. I'm not the first person to notice how incredible this book is. Piecing Me Together is the winner of the Coretta Scott King Author Award, a Newbery Honor Award winner, and a New York Times bestseller. It's a beautiful and poignant coming-of-age novel telling the story of a young Black girl named Jade, who is starting her junior year in high school. Jade lives in North Portland, but earned a scholarship to an elite and mostly white private school. A quick word about Oregon history, and I apologize if I'm covering something you already know, and a caveat that I am doing some real overview here. Oregon was born a phenomenally racist state. When it was granted statehood, the Constitution barred Black people from living in the state, and this remained illegal until 1926, not even 100 years ago. When we talk about America's racist past and talk about its racist present, we tend to elide on by the deeply impactful transgressions of the Northern and Western states, framing it as a Southern problem. This is reductive and harmful and ignorant. I'd like to revisit Oregon's history sometime, but this is not that time. I'm really only bringing it up to shift the perspective most people have of Portland, a perspective kind of sewn and cemented by shows like Portlandia and the like. It's quirky. I like it here. We have Powell's. That's great. But the foundations of this state show up in this story and in the way that Jade and her family and friends live in a segregated area of town. So this story follows Jade as she makes a new friend at her school, interacts with her childhood friends, navigates tricky conversations about race, recognizes class differences and similarities, and begins to assert her own individuality, her needs, her interests, and her boundaries. Jade is assigned a mentor through a program designed to help so-called at-risk youth, and it is because of and through this mentorship program that Jade begins to question the way the world sees her and develops the strength to openly confront that. There's a lot to really dig into and discuss in this book. It would be a great way to start conversations with young people in your life, and frankly, adults, um, about what it is to show up for folks in our community. Uh, what it means to provide care without asking first what is needed or what people want and can give to others as well. At one point, Jade asks, why am I only seen as someone who needs and not as someone who can give? She's so curious and insightful. I really loved her. Piecing Me Together is also a fantastic book to use as a conversational jumping-off point to process police brutality, healing in our communities, and whitewashed history. I know you'll fall in love with Jade and this book as I have. I'm sure you will root for her and celebrate her growth and gains and successes. Hold your breath as you watch her transform into an incredible young person, taking control of her life and honoring and loving those around her. Please, please do yourself a favor and get a copy of Piecing Me Together for yourself and for any young people in your life. The chapters are short short and just exquisite, the dialogue realistic and tender, and Jade is such a remarkable character. You won't be disappointed, even if you're not the type of person who would reach for young adult fiction. This story will stay with you for a while. Thanks for joining me to hear about Piecing Me Together by Renee Watson. I appreciate it. If you're looking for me online, you can find me on Instagram at O underscore Murray. If you do pick up this book, please let me know what you think. Until next time, friends, be well.
0: I'd like to invite you to join the national women's studies association this november 10th through the 13th at the hilton minneapolis for the annual conference the 2022 nwsa conference theme killing rage resistance on the other side of freedom seeks to open up conversations about freedom and justice salvation and sacrifice convenience and controversy and whose life and vote matters At our conference, you can connect with other activists, feminists, and scholars from across the globe. This year, the keynote speakers are feminist leaders Angela Davis and Anita Hill and many more. Don't know what MWSA is? The NWSA is the world's largest group of feminists, activists, and scholars dedicated to advancing women and women's studies across the globe. So are you a feminist? Join NWSA at nwsa.org to become a member and to see more details on this year's conference. Again, that's nwsa.org or follow them on Twitter at NWSA or on Instagram at NWSA underscore IG. We hope to see you this November here in Minneapolis.
2: Hi, my name is Ashley. I am a Feminist Book Club content contributor. Joined today with Iman Hariri Kia. She is a debut novelist, and she has worked as an editorial assistant at Teen Vogue and a sex and relationship editor at Bustle. And she has her newsletter, Cherry Picked, and she joins us today to talk about 100 Other Girls. Iman, thank you for joining us today.
3: Ashley, thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to dive into this conversation.
2: And my first question is, what is your definition of feminism?
3: Oh my gosh, what a great question! Uh, my definition of feminism is equality for all genders—men, um, women, non-binary—and a lens into equality that is intersectional and takes into account, you know, race, culture, size, ethnicity and looks at uh, feminism in a way that is a lot more all-encompassing of all people um, rather than one subgroup of women. So that's that's how I like to think about equality and feminism. Yes, and what is A Hundred Other Girls about? A Hundred Other Girls is a novel that I like to say, checks in on the world of The Devil Wears Prada. So uh, readers who are sort of, um, You know, intrigued by the glamorous world of New York media um, almost two decades ago, who loves the glitz and the glam and that sort of voyeuristic look behind the curtain, um, and maybe was fans of the bold type and old magazines and print wars and stuff like that. This is an update on what's happened to that world in the last decade because the Devil Wears Prada, while uh, a wonderful look into print publishing, predates the digital media boom. So. We have our protagonist, Nora, who uh, is a little lost. She just graduated from college. Um, She isn't really sure what she's going to do next, but she's always loved to write and has aspirations to be a writer. She gets the opportunity to work in an entry-level position at her favorite culture magazine, which is called Vinyl. Um, The pages of Vinyl basically raised Nora. It taught her everything from how to insert a tampon, to who to vote for, and she thinks that this is going to launch her writing career. Um, it's a dream come true. But when she arrives at the magazine, she realizes that not, all is not how it appears to readers from behind the screen. So not only is there tension between the old school elitist print team and the sorry, new school, young, woke, but for the wrong reasons, digital team, um, there's actually a turf war happening at Vinyl, um, where people are sort of fighting for resources, talent, relevancy, and Nora, as the newest staff edition, gets caught in the middle. So she basically has to choose an allegiance or figure out how to look out for herself and form her own side. Um, And there's a lot of other fun stuff that happens in this novel, I always talk about it as if it was like the next great American novel, but really it's a fun romp. It's a great beach read. It's sort of juicy and salacious and funny, um, but surprisingly insightful. Uh, It has a great sister relationship at its core, which I love. Um, There's a sneaky crush on a coworker and it really explores themes like, what does it mean to have your dream job? What does it mean to come of age in your twenties? It looks into clickbait and cancel culture. And you know identity exploitation, and I really think that um, this is the book that you're going to read in a couple of nights. But then the message will stick with you, hopefully, for a couple of months. So um, I'm excited for everyone to read.
2: <laughs> so Nora has a growing following before landing at Vinyl. What did you want to address about
3: burnout and build, as she is a sort of influencer? That's a great question. So. Nora is a, you know, like amateur blogger, someone who maybe um, writes a newsletter or maintains a blog and um, sends it out daily or weekly or monthly to her followers. And it's sort of like a micro influencer. She has about 20,000 followers, but it's something that I guess holds her accountable to her own aspirations as a writer. And when she starts working for vinyl, her love of writing as an outlet sort of gets conflated with her work and what she does. And she realizes that in order to be a writer in the digital space, she's going to have to be working and online 24-7. And I, I don't want to spoil anything that happens in the book, but as you can imagine, as you know, someone that's living in the, <laughs> our year Lord Savior 2022, that it's not always the healthiest choice to uh, live your entire life plugged in. So I really wanted to speak about um, young people who have huge aspirations, who push themselves to the point of burnout because they're worried that if they um, turn off for one second, they'll miss something and someone else will beat them to the punch. Um, Young people who think they have to work themselves to the point of burnout because there are so many other options. There are so many other young and hungry people willing to work more hours for less And I really wanted to write a story um, that got at the heart of that question of, are you going to work yourself to the point of burning out when there are you know 100 other girls waiting to take your place? And I really think that the answer, because for me personally, this is what I've always believed, is is no, while there are other women, other people um, who are always hungry to work and hungry for a job, no one is going to do your job 100% the way that you do it you are not a title you are irreplaceable because you are you you are a person so i think that that's really what i what i wanted to get at the heart at when it comes to burnout and burnout culture
2: and i think when we see influencers of course we see the the trips and the packages and the the hashtag gifted or hashtag you know partnership whatever but we don't really see the this consistent feeling of you have to be online and you have to show yourself. And that's what I appreciated with Nora is that you get to see both of the burnout and the build that makes her a more realized character.
3: 100%. And I think that um, something that I really love about Nora as a protagonist is that she is messy. She makes so many mistakes. There are so many times when the reader wants to sort of grab her by the shoulders and shake her because they realize that she's sort of, you know, Going off book (laughs) and doing her own thing when she's sort of straying from her overall message. Um, And I love that about her because it makes her human. Mm -hmm. She, you know, wants to live by a certain like moral ethic code, but oftentimes gets conflicted uh, between what she wants to do and what she feels like she should do. And I think that that's incredibly relatable Um, and nobody gets it right. 100% of the time, in the end of the day, we're all sort of um, trying to do what we think is best in the moment. And sometimes the bravest action um, is to take a beat, to recalibrate, to check in with yourself um, and to own up when you make mistakes and to find a way forward. So Saffron
2: is the first character I have ever read in a novel with they them pronouns. Mm -hmm. There's they them of course how we address ourselves it's a a newer idea but this is the first book that I've seen they them pronouns. Mm -hmm. What did you imagine for them and as well as additional characters in the novel and how they're presented in the story?
3: Yes so I wanted to write a non-binary trans character um, for many reasons. Um, I've always imagined Saffron as a non-binary character when I was first sort of scoping out the novel in my head because I've worked with so many incredible non-binary and trans writers and editors. And as you said, I've seen so little representation uh, mm-hmm. for non-binary characters. So I wanted to give them a fully fleshed out arc, um, character motivations and entire life within the world of Final and New York. And I get questions all the time, you know, was it difficult to write? A character with they/them pronouns in a book because is it confusing? You know who you're referring to. In my opinion, it's actually not that confusing, and I think like you know using they/them pronouns or asking people their pronouns in real life. It's one of those things that's uh, maybe daunting before you get into the habit of doing it, but the more you do it, uh, the more natural it feels. And I I definitely got the same sense uh, with writing and reading a non-binary character, and. I loved the second part of your question, and that's because, as you mentioned, Saffron is sort of like a fully formed, fully realized, complex character. And um, what I really wanted to do uh, in this book was to have every single character have many different, you know, whether that's like main characters, foils, side characters, sort of like one-off characters, to be from many different types of marginalized backgrounds and have marginalized identities and To not have those identities inform their character arcs or their character motivations or the plot in any way, but have those identities be a part of who they are Um, because so often I've seen marginalized characters be used as like a plot device or basically be presented as a trope or you get one brown and black character and then the rest of the characters are white. And... I just think that that um, is sort of a retired way of reading. And I, you know, I wanted to write a book similar to the ones I grew up loving reading with voice and humor and heart and, um, you know, moments of, of grief and conflict, all that good, juicy, messy stuff, but also, you know, painted in shades of rich diversity, which is the world of New York that I grew up in and the industry that I grew up in. So, yeah, I didn't want to have one marginalized character that was relegated into like a bit or a side character Mm -hmm. or like a joke. And I think that my solution to doing that was to make sure that, you know, all the characters were really complex and all the characters had really many facets to their identities.
2: And speaking of, I appreciated Cal. I liked his arc during the book. And I was just curious because he attended Howard University. Mm -hmm. He works in the IT department. Why did you choose him to go to Howard University?
3: I actually chose for him to go to Howard because I went to school in DC um, and knew many people from Howard. And um, I just wanted to also have the representation of a historically black university, which often doesn't get shouted out in oh, novels. Wow. You'll get your Yale, you'll get your Harvard, you'll get your Brown, but you won't get an HBC. So that was my intention there. And also like the dope, it, like the sickest people go to Howard too. So, um, that was just sort of a little nod to my friends who attended And I'm glad that you said that about Cal because I definitely think that Cal is often misunderstood as a character. Um, I don't want to spoil it for any readers, but he also has a pretty fully realized arc. Um, He is definitely controversial, divisive. um, People love or hate him. But Mm -hmm. I think that there are many um, details about his character that are revealed over time that I think speak to why he does what he does and makes the decisions that he makes. And um, you also have to think contextually about, you know, who he is as a black man working at a predominantly white, very corporate, you know, large old company that definitely has like racist, sexist, like totally biased, stereotypical tendencies. And I, I don't know. I think that he's often misunderstood. I think that he definitely doesn't always make the best decisions, but neither does Nora and neither do many of the characters in 100 Other Girls. And that's what I love about this book is that everyone's a little bit morally gray. And I think everyone will resonate with different characters in the book because they're all just trying to get by like this. this, It's really like there's a systemic issue in the industry and everyone's just trying to do their best to get by.
2: And he could have obviously just have been like the hot love interest. But for him to for you to give him this these characteristics and this arc. And yes, he may be misunderstood, but you understand why. He has a place in this book. And it was greatly appreciated.
3: Thank you. Well, I think that so often um, secondary characters, as I said, are used as you know, plot devices and foils to help the main character realize things about themselves. And it was really important for me, especially with the goal of, you know, having people from different backgrounds and having different experiences in the book to make sure that that was never the case, that they had their own lives, that they had their own motivations, and that even if they um, sort of like crossed onto the page of our main character's story, there could be an entirely separate book written about them that would be as rich and engaging.
2: So we talked a little bit about family. There's a, also a little bit of chosen family um, in the book. Uh, can you talk about that? And was that of interest to you?
3: 100% I'm a huge fan of the chosen family trope. Um, it always is the, those those moments with chosen family are always the ones that make me laugh and cry the hardest in my favorite novels. Uh, and it was interesting. Um, I have spoken so much about representation already in this conversation, but I think that something that I've noticed, especially when it comes to any sort of Middle Eastern narrative um, in popular media, of which there are very, very few, um, there's often um, a huge emphasis on race and religion and the way that, that families deal with it, especially immigrant families navigate race and religion. And I just really didn't want to fall into that pit. Um, I wanted to show um, what it was like for a first-generation daughter of immigrants who's, you know, not necessarily navigating the American experience as a complete outsider because she had one foot in that world as well. So I wanted to show what it was like to sort of band together with a bunch of other misfits who are trying to get by and create your own family and your own experience, um, which I think so many people in their 20s when they move to new cities and uh, start new jobs do. So I think that the connections and the relationships that she makes with Saffron, that's really important. I think that that relationship was really important. I think that her sister dynamic with Layla and Layla's partner are all really, really crucial to the book. Um, For me, uh, Nora's relationship with Layla, her sister, is probably like the one of the greatest love stories because they see and understand each other in a way that only another like first gen kid with similar experiences can. And there's a scene at the end of the book um, that takes place over Thanksgiving where everyone's sort of sharing anecdotes and food and language and stories together at a table. And I think it's just so emblematic of what it's like to like look around and realize you found your people. So that always makes me feel really warm and fuzzy. And I hope people, <laughs> I hope that readers connect with that scene and get that same feeling as well.
2: And just oh, something that I wanted to say was I really like the pace of the environment. Vinyl obviously would be like this very fast pace, you know, and there is a bit of it, like Nora is told like, you need to sit at this desk. You can't even get up to use the facilities but there is a good balance of pace between like when Nora and Layla are at home or when Nora is walking to the subway, that was some, that balance I appreciated because we do get a bit of a fast pace, but we also get some quieter moments as well.
3: Thank you. I definitely, I, In my experience, working in media, because you are often fishing from the same pool as a bunch of different people, all trying to catch the first and biggest fish, um, it does feel very fast paced and exhausting. And, you know, it can be at sometimes overwhelming. But what I love about this city is you exit your workplace, your home, you know, an appointment. And all of a sudden, you're sort of surrounded by like-minded, passionate people who are all sort of moving throughout the world with their own, you know, their own dreams and stories. And it makes you feel like there is peace and quiet and all like the noise and the bustle. Um, And I just I wanted to capture that sense um, and also just write a book about New York that wasn't shitting on the, excuse my language, but wasn't shitting on the city, but took like a real let, like a real look at some of its issues while still romanticizing and loving it. Like I wanted, Mm -hmm. I wanted a New Yorker's ode to New York. I've born and raised here. Um, and I love the city so much and I know it's not perfect. Um, but you know, it's the perfect place for me to be. And I really wanted to create those moments of, peace and quiet amongst millions um, in the book. So I, I'm glad that you uh, recognize those scenes and that you enjoyed them as much as the hilarious, like Nora's going to pee her pants because she's not allowed to use the bathroom scenes.
2: <laughs> Pop culture references are my love language. Yes. <laughs> and just the sheer joy of understanding every single reference in this book made it a must read alone. (laughs) How much fun did you have writing these pop culture references and what are some, what are some that always stick with you?
3: Okay, thank you so much for saying that because pop culture references are incredibly divisive in like the book community. I've heard from so many people that they hate to read pop culture references and that, you know, it dates the book, um, which, you know, obviously it does date the book, but I come from the school of loving tasteful pop culture references because I think that it grounds a character in reality and makes you feel like you have sort of like insight into her psyche and um, almost like you're in a group chat with her, which I love. And I grew up, you know, I'm from the school of night cabot. Like I loved the princess diaries growing up and I really feel like I learned so much about writing from her and she was the queen of pop culture references. I learned about so many different, like wonderful, um, like TV shows, films, music, uh, books from, from Meg and from the character of Mia Thermopolis. So when I sat down to write this book, I knew I wanted to do something similar. And I had so much fun picking and choosing, um, the Easter eggs and sort of like nods and winks that one in this book, the one challenge that I didn't see coming is I did write this book in late 2019. Um, so it's mm-hmm. sort of three years in the making. Did not predict a pandemic to happen. Oh, <laughs> so yes. definitely had to revisit some of the moments and revise them to still feel, you know, Like they were an accurate enough snapshot of 2019, but not, you know, tone deaf, not um, distasteful in any Mm -hmm. way. And um, I really love the product that we came up with, but it was definitely uh, after the, or I guess not after because we're still in it, but sort of post vaccine, it was very fun to revisit what I had written and be like, well, that doesn't really make sense anymore. (laughs)
2: So please tell us about your work in media as a writer, editor, and also about Cherry Picked.
3: Oh, I would absolutely love to. Well, I worked as a editor, writer and editor for many years. I've been freelance writing since I was in high school. So, um, you know, for over a decade, and I really, really love getting the opportunity to write one-offs for different uh, lifestyle magazines, culture magazines. Um, I've written for print and digital, and it's definitely like my first, my first love. I'm an essayist. Uh, I worked as a editor uh, for four or five different uh, women's lifestyle publications, mostly digital uh, publications. Um, I predominantly have worked in the young adult, teen, and sex and relationship spaces. I really think that there's a ton of overlap in between all three because I'm really interested in sex education. I'm really interested in like sexual autonomy and um, empowering young people to know and communicate about their bodies. And as you mentioned, I worked as an SNR editor at Bustle, at Elite Daily. Um, It was, you know, really... The love of my life getting to um, work with editors and writers to put forth content that I felt could actually help young people, sort of Googling in the dark, trying to figure out you mm-hmm. know, answers about themselves and their bodies and their desires. And when I went to my last role, um, which was as the site lead for her campus, which was a uh, college-aged women's lifestyle media group uh, by Gen Z for Gen Z. I was really working at managing a team of really smart, young, creative people and doing a lot more, uh, I guess, creative direction and top level work, which was a challenge, but really, really fulfilling. I had a revelation maybe a couple months in that I really missed being able to write at a regular cadence, which I just didn't have the time to between. Working on my book and working full time as an editorial lead, so cherry pick was sort of my answer to that. Um, you know, a project that was all mine that I could look forward to working on each month. Similarly to what my book had been when I first started writing it, and it's coming of age essays for girls who are growing up at any age. So just sort of like funny anecdotal memories from adolescence, from puberty, from your teenage years, from your college years, from your you know first job era. And um, each month I write a curated essay, which is super fun for me and I look forward to doing it. And then every Friday subscribers get a current state of the union from me, which is um, inspired by Lise Harrison's The Click. So it's in and out lists five uh, objects each week. I have so much fun curating these. And, you know, these are obviously like a gag. A lot of them are just opinionated jokes, but I think that it's really a wonderful way for me to keep tabs on readers, have them keep tabs on me because a lot of my readership have been following my work since Teen Vogue and um, have been really incredibly supportive of me. But one thing you gotta know about books is for <laughs> two years can lapse between projects. So this is a great way for me to be able to write a little bit more regularly and also uh, stay in touch with them while I work on larger projects.
2: So as we close our conversation, I normally don't ask this question, but I'm really curious on what you're working on next because this book, as a reader, I would love a sequel. But you do what you got to do. What are you
3: working on? Oh my gosh, I can't tell you completely, but I okay. do have another project in the works. Um, okay, great. I yeah, I can't give away too much, um, mm-hmm. but let's just say that it is even more outrageous and hilarious and voicey and you know a subtle cultural commentary as 100 other girls is and I've read this I've read 100 other girls so many times in preparation Mm -hmm. of this launch um through edits you know through readbacks through final passes and feel like I know it in and out so you know I'm, I'm so familiar with the text that maybe it doesn't you know take me by surprise anymore uh, but this next project is, I just, I, I'm really excited about it. And I think that if people love The 100 Other Girls, they should definitely, you know, hopefully give me a follow, um, you know, add me on Goodreads because there are more good things coming. And uh, besides that, I'm launching a line of slutty book merch um, in the next. Okay. Um, it's tied to my launch, but I just um, had this idea of because I'm a big, I'm obsessed with book talk. Like I get a million reading recs, um, on TikTok and love the community and, um, saw that there was sort of like a gap when it came to like funny, um, -hmm. sort of like hornier messages that disrupt this idea that bookworms are sort of like prudish and and exclusively nerdy. Um, And we are nerdy, but we can also be um, sort of like a little bit, um, you know, inappropriate as well. So I'm really excited. Um, I had six book talkers um, help me to put together the launch and the model, the shirt. So I'm excited to put that online and I'm going to be donating 25% of the proceeds to Planned Parenthood um, in light of Roe v. Wade uh, being overturned. So. Very excited about that, and then I have you know events coming up. My my debut launch is next Monday at the Strand. I'm very excited to um, finally meet some readers and sign some books. I'm going to be doing a little bit of book touring in August, and hopefully, I'll actually get to sleep through the night because <laughs> <laughs> I have been like way too. I've been on one like those last months, so I'm looking forward to just being able to relax sleep and read a book that isn't my own
2: (laughs) excellent yes wonderful wonderful things coming from you and just last question and I think you've touched you may have touched a little bit on it what is a bookstore you would like our audience to buy a hundred other
3: girls from and what organization would you like to amplify oh my gosh um that is a wonderful question I okay so I will say, because I am doing a signed pre-order campaign with them, that I would very much recommend you purchase a pre-order from The Strand. I know that it's not as easy as, you know, doing one-click Amazon Prime, but if you pre-order from The Strand, I will be, you know, signing and I can write a message for you. Um, so that, I guess that would be my my number one. <laughs> um, so, consider that. But also, uh, bookshop.org is a great resource that helps you um, to connect to your local indies. So, bookshop is another great option. Um, I've got Barnes and Noble linked as well because I'm a BNN lover. So, um, but I want to shout out the Strand and Bookshop first and foremost because Go Indies, um, I'm a big lover of indie booksellers, and I think that you should keep them in business for as long as possible. Um, And then, you know, I'm definitely supporting Planned Parenthood this month through the proceeds of um, my uh, book merch that's coming out. But I also think um, the National Network of Abortion Funds is another great way to go. Abortion Care Network um, is another great way to go. Um, I am just absolutely devastated about the lower-income women and non-binary people with vaginas that are going to have to be crossing borders and making really difficult decisions when it comes to their own um, anatomy and healthcare over the next few months. And I, and my heart goes out to them. Um, and also my money is going to be going out to them as well. So yeah, I, I would just say that it's a scary time to... <laughs> have a reproductive system right now and I am thinking about all of my uh friends and readers that are going to be in the position to make difficult decisions and uh if if y'all want you can buy the shirts and that'll help but otherwise go direct to the source Um, we'll be doing it in solidarity together
2: thank you for your insight your empathy and Iman Hariri Kia. Thank you for talking with us about your debut novel, a hundred other girls. Oh my
0: gosh. Thank you for having me. This has been so fun and thank you for the great questions. That was awesome. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of feminist book club. The podcast want to be part of the club. Here's how you can join us. Obviously subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well red woman is a creature. creature.